couples are entitled to the same benefits as opposite-sex ones. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Welcome to Money for Nothing. This is Enid Cho. Thai stocks and currency dropped the most in two weeks after the military suddenly imposed martial law across the nation. The SET index lost 1.1% to 1,394 points yesterday and the baht weakened 0.2% to 32.5 baht a dollar. William Dudley, one of the most influential members of the Fed, is proposing a new approach to tapering. The president of the New York Fed said in a speech that the central bank should keep buying mortgage-backed securities even after it raised, raises interest rates. I'll have more on that in a minute. In other news, Australia's Treasury Wine has just rejected a $2.9 billion offer from private equity firm KKL. And on the last day of Russian President Putin's visit to Shanghai, he and President Xi Jinping are going to make a last-ditch attempt to sign a $400 billion deal for Russia to sell gas to China. The two countries seem to be cozying up to each other, just as Russian Prime Minister Medvedev warns on Bloomberg that the second Cold War is slowly approaching. I believe that President Obama could be more tactful politically than discussing those issues. Some decisions taken by the U.S. administration are disappointing. We have indeed done a lot for Russian-U.S. relations. I believe doing so was right. The agreements that were reached with America were useful. And I'm very sorry that everything that has been achieved is now being eliminated by those decisions. Basically, we are slowly but surely approaching a second Cold War that nobody needs. Why am I saying this? Because a competent politician knows how to make reserved, careful, subtle, wise, and intelligent decisions, which I believe Mr. Obama succeeded at for a while. But what is being done now, unfortunately, proves that the U.S. administration has run out of those resources, and the United States is one of the parties to suffer from this. That's the Russian Prime Minister Medvedev blaming the U.S.'s new sanctions on a dozen Russians linked to human rights violations and the U.S. approach to the Ukraine crisis for souring relations between the two countries. I'm going to ask our markets guest Ben Collett later in the show if geopolitical tensions are going to have an effect on markets over the summer. I mentioned earlier that the New York Fed's President William Dudley is saying that rates will go up slowly and the Fed doesn't have to start shrinking its holdings before raising interest rates. That would give a boost to the market when everyone is worrying about the Fed withdrawing its liquidity support. Here's what he said yesterday. There are two considerations that, this, that suggest to me that ending reinvestments prior to liftoff may not be the best strategy. First, such a decision might complicate our communications regarding the process of normalization. Ending reinvestments as, a, as the initial step risks inadvertently bringing forward any tightening of financial conditions, as this might foreshadow the impending liftoff of rates in a matter inconsistent with what the committee's intentions are. Second, when conditions permit, it would be desirable to get off the zero lower bound in order to gain some monetary policy flexibility. That goal would argue for liftoff occurring first, followed by the end of reinvestments, rather than vice versa. Delaying the end of reinvestment puts the emphasis where it needs to be, getting off the zero lower bound for interest rates. In my opinion, that's far more important, getting some flexibility to monetary policy, than the consequences of the balance sheet being a little larger for a little longer. 
So that was the New York Fed's President William Dudley. Now, the debate is still raging within the Fed. After also speaking yesterday was the more hawkish Charles Plotter of the Philadelphia Fed. He said the Fed may need to act sooner rather than later. Well, U.S. stocks fell after two days of gains after companies, staples, urban outfitters and Caterpillar all announced worse than estimated results. The S&P 500 dropped 0.7% to 1872. The Dow Jones fell 0.8% to 16,374. Small caps also suffered. The Russell 2000 index was down 1.5%. Meanwhile, the 10-year Treasury yield fell 3 basis points to 2.51%. In Europe, the FTSE was down 0.6% to 6802, and the DAX was down 0.2% to 9.639. Currency-wise, the Australian dollar has lost another 0.3% to 92.4 against the greenback. It was down 0.9% a day earlier. This was after the Australian central bank held the benchmark interest rate steady at 2.5%, and iron ore prices hit the lowest point since 2012. In Japan, however, the yen is now up at a up to a three-month high at 101.33 for a dollar. Looking at Asian stocks this morning, the Nikkei is down 0.7% at 13,975. The Australian market is down 0.2% at 5392. And the Seoul market is down eight points at 2003. Coming up on today's show, it's the day of reckoning for China's heavily indebted corporate sector near at hand. Gillam Tullock, founder of GMT Research, will explain why he thinks Chinese stocks could be heading for a big correction. Fitness is big business. I'll be talking to Ken Mock, Managing Director of Fitness First, about trends in this fast-growing industry that so many of you are addicted to. But um, let's take a look at the regional markets now with Ben Collett, Head of Japan and Asian Equities at Sunrise Brokers. Good morning, Ben. Good morning. How are you? Thank you very much for joining the show today. My pleasure. Well, there's, a, there's so much turmoil out there in the world. We have Thailand, of course, um, moving to a new uncertain state with the military sudden move yesterday. Even the caretaker government uh, didn't know that was coming. First quarter GDP has also fallen 0.6% from a year ago. But looking at the Thai SET index, it's been pretty resilient. It's up 10% year to date. It's a lot, it's a lot better than what the Hang Sang's done. So yeah. why do you think that is? Um, you mean why? Uh, why, is the, the, why, why is the Thai market, market fairly resilient well, despite look, all these political the equity, uncertainties? The equity markets generally price in pretty well the, the direct impact. I mean, it's been the worst performer uh, of the Southeast Asian markets, but as you said, it's actually up you know, seven, seven odd percent year to date. Um, Jakarta, for example, up, and the Philippines are up sort of 15, 16 levels. So it is pricing in some downsides from this risk, but I think mm-hmm. the military government stepping in is more, you know, the, the more, what the market's telling me and what the currency's telling me is that, uh, is that investors actually like this, uh, uh, this recent move, or at the, very, at the very least, don't really care too much. I think, you know, Thailand's been a net benefactor all since 2012 of, of a lot of foreign investment. Um, naturally, uh, that's going to come off. I, I think on a relative basis to say Indonesia and the Philippines, it's obviously not been as uh, strong a market, but mm-hmm. the equity markets tend to price in things way ahead of time. And I, and I think, um, you know, what we're seeing anyway is that the upside um, 
from here, uh, or the risk of upside is probably greater. Um, because but, people you know, are seeing that the, the, the people do buy what the military is saying, that they're only here to keep peace. It's not a cool... Yeah, I, you know, I, I think Thailand's very, very... Um, very specific in terms of as long as the you know at any one point in time the uh, the king can always pop out and uh, and seems to be able to calm the general masses down. Um, no, I, I don't know. Yes, whether it did. It, it did happen. It has happened before. I suppose we last had yeah, a military yeah. coup in two thousand six, and it's recovered. Yes, exactly. So you know the, the GDP number has been pretty bad. I would expect that that um, that 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 returns. Just statistically mm. uh, speaking, it's more likely that the next number is better. Um, you know, do remember that the market, I mean, the S&P started going up well before the end of the Second World War, about two years in advance. So if, it, if you know, that was a world war, so a minor coup in Thailand, and like you said, it's not exactly the first time it's ever happened. Um, so I, it's important to remember, I think, that you're not, not to panic based on, on, on a headline. You know, no, the actual death tolls have been pretty, um, uh, pretty muted. Um, and and do, it, would you, know, you would you suggest people um, going into Thai stocks now? I mean, it, it is cheap compared to the rest of the region. I mean, average P is about what twelve or something. Yeah, I, I always get nervous when when I hear words like cheap and safe in terms of uh, <laughs> uh, of investing in Thailand. Look, I, I I think it looks okay, but right here, I will, uh, I think there's probably better places to uh, uh, to spend your money. I'm not really. In all honesty, as well, I'm not really that good at calling Thailand. I got, I've got it wrong a, a few times. It probably goes up another five, ten percent. But um, you've learned your lesson. <laughs> you no, know, I, I think it's. Um, it looks like it's going a little bit higher. But I really, if I was sitting on profits in Thailand right now, I would be taking them. Yeah, we, do, um, we, we mean basically nobody knows what's going to happen next. Right? I mean, the caretaker government is um, pushing for August third general election. Will that happen? We don't know. What will happen afterwards? We don't know. I'm more nervous about the general direction of foreign investment and its competitive mm. in the its competitiveness within um, uh, within Southeast Asia is what is really what's concerning me. I don't see a lot of drivers for this in the long term going forward. So if you're you know, for us, we can trade markets in and out. For your listeners who are perhaps more longer term, I would, um, I would not favour the, the, the say twelve month fundamentals, i.e., GDP growth, GDP drivers in mm-hmm. Thailand. So, what other, markets do what markets. markets do you like in Southeast Asia? In Southeast Asia, look, I'm, uh, like I said, I do not, you know, from, a, from on a year on year basis, you'll probably make some money, but I, I think there's better growth outlook, uh, better growth prospects there. Southeast Asia has a lot of. Uh, a lot of foreign money in it. I mm-hmm. think the foreign money is about to get quite nervous. Um, at some point, we're expecting the U.S. market to turn south. It's looking pretty close. Mm-hmm. Um, the markets I like um, in in Asia are the developed ones. Um, specifically, uh, I like Japan here, mm-hmm. um, or not maybe not necessarily here, but soon. Um, Japan has been the worst market, um, you know, in the, well, in the developed world all, all year. Um, it's liquid. It's easier to get your money out, and it's less expensive. Okay, so I mean, Japan, the BOJ is wrapping up a two day policy meeting today, and investors are going to hear how confident Governor Kuroda is going to sound this afternoon. Um, so there's a lot of speculation now. Will they um, start tapering? Will they inject money, more money into the system? Um, the, but what's interesting in recent days is how strong the yen has become. I mean, um, I mean, not strong historically, but it's gone up by nearly 4% since the start of the year. I mean, why has the BOJ allowed that, I wonder? It must be... The, the, well, 
BOJ's policy on currency intervention is to correct aggressive and fast movements. So if you were to see the So it hasn't move, been that fast? It's not. It, it, it's steady. They try not to interact with market forces because, you know, it, it's, it's always a very expensive game to try and uh, play with the market. But if you see the currency move 2% in a day, um, I would anticipate the, the BOJ stepping in. I actually... We believe, or rather, I, I believe the, the currency is going to, the, the dollar yen rate is going to go to nine, nine and a half. And I think um, the euro yen as well. Um, a lot of this, I think, has been, you know, supported by the euro move or euro mm-hmm. retracement versus the dollar. So I think, you know, I think the yen will get to nine, nine and a half. But um, the Nikkei has already moved, in my opinion, ahead of that. So, so as we see. We don't have to sell exporters. <laughs> well, you know, it, I. I, I'm not, I wouldn't buy any exporters um, mm. uh, today, but I think uh, you know at the right level, it, it's getting. Uh, they are getting closer, and I think don't expect the market to collapse immediately because of you know uh, the yen breaking 100. Um, mm-hmm. It's already been leading. Um, uh, one of the ways we know why well, the reasons I think the yen is going to get stronger is because the Nikkei is telling me that. Um, so you know that means I, I think that. Um, it won't be as weak as, uh, as expected, so we would be covering uh, covering shorts there. I, I, also, on, as far as the market goes, there are a lot of longer-term positives. There's a few themes out there, the casino themes. Um, mm. I don't think I always get very twitchy uh, when when we when we wait to trade based on what the BOJ are going to say. They historically will disappoint uh, the market, but we are pricing in. Um, pricing in some disappointment. I, and also, I mean, talking about, you mentioned casinos. Again, that may disappoint as well. We're not, no, we're not exactly near to a decision yet. And there's still a lot of um, voices anti it within Japan. Yeah, I, um, you know, but I, I have to favor, uh, always have to favor a rational decision, regardless of what, um, uh, Japan to be the only country in Asia without casinos would seem, um, would seem illogical. Mm. Um, they may be, um, they may be, uh, uh, you know, difficult to persuade. But I don't, I don't really believe that, you know, that the basis for an opposition to this is, is quite ludicrous. Um, and not, you know, I, I could be wrong, but I, I, the kind of stocks that we like, things like Fuji Media, um, that also gets, you know, these guys did also win an Olympic bid recently. Um, mm. They do need to keep their foot on the gas, and I think at some point. Um, you know, they're looking at revisiting the constitution, regardless of some local opposition or some sure. guys trying to get well, better payments. I don't. I, it, politics, it politics is rarely, well, not always rational. But um, the, I mean, looking at data, it's all sort of moving in the right direction. People are quite relieved that the sales tax, um, the new sales tax imposed on April first, hasn't had much of an impact on the economy. We've just had a stunningly good machinery order for for March, up what nineteen percent month for month. But to, yeah. and I just want to ask you a question. What I don't understand is, um, this was the machinery order data was for March, right? Um, yeah. Don't don't machinery orders also get affected by the new sales tax? Would companies be buying because they want to avoid it after April first? Yeah. Generally, you know, the sales tax applies to uh, to everything. Um, I think with some you know minor exceptions on on specific consumer items, but sales tax is is a general tax on the economy. That's why it's such a, um, you know, that's why it's a, such a potential drag. Um, now, I think I think what we've seen is the market still looks, and this has been a negative contributing factor, and the, but in answer to your question, yes, you front load the big orders, 
because of a sales tax, of course you do. I mean, you've actually got the, the, the consumer in Japan is so sophisticated, they were buying cigarettes and toilet paper ahead of a sales <laughs> tax. So, you know, and if they're doing it, everybody's doing it. The same with auto sales, all the big ticket items in particular. And But the market, you know, the, the market does know this. Um, <laughs> so the state is always backward looking. That And I, and I think as you, your next question would probably be, does this mean it's going to be a shocking number next month? And I think yes. Hmm. Um, you know, we certainly uh, underestimated the negative sentiment from, from the sales tax, uh, I think, here, but we were quick to catch up. Um, okay. Like, like I said, I do think the market, I think the market is going to continue to go down. It's not come off enough for the BOJ to step in in, in any capacity. Huge amount of money again. Yeah, because yeah, hmm. these guys are looking at GDP and, like I said, machine sure. orders and whatever. I, I think we've still got to go down further, but on a relative basis, this is what we like Japan relative to the S&P soon. Not exactly just yet. You know, call me back maybe okay. next week and we'll... Um, I'll do uh, that. We'll um, um, but yeah. Now, before I let you go, I just want to get back to that Cold War theme that I mentioned earlier in the show. Um, yeah. All these geopolitical tensions, do you think that um, investors should react to that? And when, if yes, in what way? Um, no. Unless somebody starts firing missiles, I wouldn't sweat um, anything on it. Look, Cold War is, 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 you know, we there's always this stuff going on, right? You've got the CIA operating China. You've got, um, for every cyber attack cross-border, uh, China-US, it goes the other way. I mean, these guys have been messing with each other for a very long time. Um, the US's foreign policy has been and will continue to be destabilization. Um, and, you know, if it... I don't see anything yet that's really represented a significant okay. change. These guys want to; these guys need to destabilize local power so they don't become a significant threat. That's the you know that's the dominant thesis behind U.S. foreign policy. So this is kind of the machine at work, in my opinion. Um, now, anything at this point can can kick off a uh, you know a sell-off in the market. Um, I think right now, given where given if you if you're long S and P, if you're long U.S. stocks, I would. Um, I would be taking profit and reducing here, um, and for whatever you keep on, I would I would be using a, a trailing Great. stock because it could go higher, right? Yeah. Um, but selling, um, you know, selling. Uh, I mean, I actually, we I, I shorted some Microsoft last night. I think. Uh, oh, did you? Goes, That's sort of um, against um, a lot. I mean, uh, in the other direction of a lot of people are doing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, we like to do that, um, <laughs> but. You know, if you've got a specific reason for, for, for selling a stock, then, then, then go for it. But um, I wouldn't, uh, even a war in, you know, I mean, we're looking at these, you know, we're looking at what's going on in, uh, in Libya right now. And yeah. oil's really I'll have to, um, I'll, I know it's a big question I asked you, but I'm afraid I'll have to cut you off there because um, our next guest has been waiting patiently in the studio. I've, thank you very much. Always a pleasure talking to you, Ben Collett of Sunrise Brokers. No um, welcome to the show, Gillam Turek, founder of GMT Research. Um, thank you very much for coming to the studio and um, for waiting. Um, so you are worried about the mainland Chinese market. Tell me why. <laughs> I mean, more so than other people. <laughs> um. Well, uh, thanks for having me. Yeah, we, we think that uh, the Chinese corporate sector is, is massively overleveraged. Its, um, its, its leverage is higher than many Southeast Asian uh, countries on the eve of the 97 Asian financial crisis. And uh, when the Chinese government stops injecting credits into the system, uh, companies will cut capex, earnings will fall, and the stock market will follow suit. 
Now, the Chinese economy has historically been relying largely on public uh, fixed asset investment for growth and less so on consumer and private sector spending. It's something that the government wants to change. But um, so are you talking about mainly the SOEs pooling out pro- pooling projects like building roads and bridges? Yes, absolutely. I mean, it's it's uh, a lot of the the growth is has basically been directed by the government, um, and um, you know th- these companies, uh, anything that is associated with it, um, will will uh, eventually uh, you know will will see lower growth rates. Um, so we noticed that a number of sectors, in particular, um, have been suffering for a while, uh, debt piling up. Profits falling, property, solar panel makers, shipbuilders, coal miners. Um, are you suggesting that it's going to be more widespread than that? What are the other sectors that people should um, be wary of? Well, it's basically um, basic materials, industrials, uh, anything that's cyclical, um, high-end consumption. Uh, these are the sectors that will get uh, the most uh, negatively impacted. Mm-hmm. Now, we had um, um, a, um, a, a bit of news about IPOs recently. China's security regulatory, uh, sorry, the Securities Regulatory Commission chairman was saying that um, there is not going to be a, a huge flood of IPOs this year. Um, he has put a cap um, on 100 IPOs for the rest of the year, which is a lot less than the like, 300, 400 that people were expecting. So that's, um, that's, that's good news for the market in the short term, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think the number of IPOs will actually have any impact on the market, and it, it you know it, it, it doesn't really. Um, you know, what, what what drives the direction of the market is earnings. Um, the, the other trend that we've noticed recently, of course, is that the Chinese market, sorry, the Chinese government, is allowing companies to to go bust or to default on on debt. So you were saying earlier that a lot of companies have. A way more debt than they can um, they, they can um, sort of keep keep up with given the lower cash um, cash flow so um, are there um, are there are there specific companies that are on the brink of default do you think well well there's, there's, the, well, there's lots of companies that uh, um, that look insolvent I mean actually insolvency is a is quite subjective it's really up to the bankers to decide when they pull the plug um, if uh, um, if the Chinese government is allowing companies to, to go bust that's a very in, in, encouraging uh, development because you'll have a reallocation of capital um, from inefficient users to efficient users and it'll also send a signal to the banking system that you know you, you've got to start lending properly um, and that would likely rein in credit growth uh, and uh, but but you know as we say uh, any sort of reallocation of capital uh, a slowdown in the rate of new credit growth um, will lead uh, to uh, to a recession essentially and, and that's what we're saying is going to happen so what's in, the worst case scenario um, well, the worst case scenario is that they continue this uh, r- ridiculous credit injection that they've been uh, pursuing for the last five years. They've been injecting net new credit into the economy in excess of 30% of GDP for five consecutive years. In the US, in the, 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 the peak of the bubble in 2006, it was 22%. In Thailand, pre-97 crisis, it was around 25% for three years. So it's in excess of 30% for five consecutive years in China. Uh, and ov- obviously, this 
is just uh, you know uh, feeding into rising leverage within the corporate sector. So the worst possible outcome is that they continue to inject credit into the system and they let this bubble get larger. The the the, the best possible outcome is that they pull back on the credit injection and they 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 allow a clearing a cleansing of the system. Um, but that would also uh, necessitate uh, a fall uh, in the stock market, a decline in GDP. Where do you see the A share market at the end of the year? Then, how far can it fall? Well, if we—I mean, it, it depends on the Chinese government. If, if uh, they actually, um, if they start acting rationally and they pull back on uh, net new credit injection, we could see the uh, uh, the A share market trend down towards book value. It's on about 1.8 times at the moment. So you're seeing a 40 to 50 percent possible downside, wow. assuming they rein back on new credit growth. Okay. On that warning, uh, thank you very much for joining the show today. That's Gillam Tullock, founder of GMT Research. Thanks very much. So the time now is 8.27. Joining me in the studio is Ken Mock, Managing Director of Fitness First in Asia. Good morning, Ken. Good morning. Thank you for coming in. Um, now, Fitness First is a UK company, isn't it? Correct. And it's got big plans in Asia. It's, um, I read that it's going to invest more than 100 million US dollars to grow its footprint in Asia by what, 60%. Correct. Um, what, what are you doing in Hong Kong at the moment? Um, we actually got a new owner, um, Oak Tree Capital. Um, so, you know. oh, I see. So, Oak Tree Capital has bought the whole of Fitness, fitness First. Correct. Right, and um, so new new owner, new strategy. Correct. Um, um, we are in a very good position. We're going to have a big expansion plan over the next five years. Um, in Asia alone, we're going to put in about um, 140 million US dollar to open up um, 50 new clubs within the next 50. Yeah, um, in the Asia region. In um, over how long? Uh, the next five years. Next five years, yeah. okay. Now, you have um, quite a few clubs in Hong Kong already, but it seems your um, expansion plan in Singapore is a little bit more aggressive. Can you tell me why? Is it because the rent is so high here? <laughs> yes, uh, the, the major thing is that um, the rent here is high and um, we need to find a good location. It's, it's very important for opening health club. Um, um, in Singapore alone, um, I think it's more available opportunity with a location. That's why we're going to open uh, more club over there. But definitely we're going to have um, probably about one to two club a year in Hong Kong from the next five years. One to two new clubs a year in Hong Kong for Correct. five years. Wow, okay. And um, I mean, the thing is, with fitness clubs, you need a lot of space, don't you? I mean, how big is the average club in Hong Kong? Um, the club probably is around 12,000 to 14,000 square feet. It's the right size. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm. And um, and what are the new trends in uh, running fitness clubs? Is it all to do with just keeping up with the latest mm, uh, exercise fads or are there changes in the business model itself? Yes, um, as the fitness market is getting more matured, um, we need to meet the demand of the customer. To, so to our survey nowadays, members actually, um, those who engage a personal trainer or participate in a group exercise, they tend to stay twice longer than those without. Hmm. So we are conscious to meet, meet this demand. And one of our formula in our expansion plan is to engage our member in um, freestyle group training, which is our, our signature program. It actually allows people to connect to a high incentive, incentive, incentive uh, workout in a short base of time. So for market in Hong Kong and Singapore, people tend to be more busy. It's important to get a job done within a shorter time. So any changes in how you know members 
pay for their packages as well? Um, you'll be depend on the package and uh, how many cups they're going to assess. And we're going to invest a lot on this freestyle training with the equipment and uh, obviously um, our staff um, qualification, certification, and make sure they can educate the member in this um, freestyle training. Great. Thank you very much for joining the show today. That's Ken Mock, Managing Director of Fitness First. I'm afraid we've come up to um, the uh, end of the show. First, the weather. It's going to be cloudy with a few more squally showers and maximum temperature will be 29 degrees. The current temperature is 25 degrees. Back chat is coming up after the news. And um, let's um, get, sorry, <laughs> and um, the time is coming up to 8.32. It's time for the news. Thailand's caretaker prime minister has called for fresh elections after the army declared martial law. The military said troops had been ordered onto the streets to maintain security and that there had been no coup. But the opposition insists it will keep up the fight to topple the government. The BBC's Jonathan Head reports. The sight of armed soldiers stationed at street corners this morning made this feel like a classic military takeover. But in his televised announcement, the army commander, General Prayut Chano, 